Well, good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You should have received, uh, when you came in the door this morning, a half sheet of paper uh, that has uh, the prayer group questions, uh, discussion questions for both tonight uh, for men's prayer group and next uh, week for women's prayer group. So if you did not receive those, if you don't mind just slipping up your hand and we'll have a couple of the ushers uh, come down and uh, make sure that you have uh, a copy of those. And let's uh, begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and begin in verse 12 together. And we're going to look at one passage of Scripture this morning, or one verse together. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're blessed as brothers and sisters in Christ to gather this morning and to turn our attention to uh, your sacred word. Oh, you know we, we need it. We are in desperate need of the truth, in desperate need of guidance from your word because The messages we hear um, today are filled with error and deceit and are uh, filled with um, human philosophy and empty wisdom that lead to destruction, not to life. And so it's a blessing for us as brothers and sisters to come here and to, uh, to hear together what you would have to say to us as a congregation. So use this word in our lives this morning. May we be submissive to it and quick, quick to apply it to our lives. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as you are aware, 
tonight uh, begins our men's prayer group and next week our women's prayer group for the, for the school, school season. And uh, we as a, a pastoral staff uh, want to strongly urge you to make these a priority um, and to not, uh, to not forsake this gathering, uh, but to make it, a, make it a priority to be together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, well, getting together and praying uh, with a group of people just isn't my thing, and we understand that some people may feel that way. Uh, but let me encourage you that this is one of the ways that you can submit to the leadership of, of this church. Um, and in your minds, you should be saying, okay, my pastors have placed uh, these particular gatherings aside, have emphasized the, this ministry for the good of my soul and the church family. And I want to happily support them and their leadership in, in this ministry. And so I'll make it a priority because our, 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 our prayer is that in the, in the weeks and months to come, that, these, that what we'll be doing is sowing seeds, uh, that in the years to come, three to five years, we'll reap an incredible amount of fruit uh, because of the depth of relationship uh, that comes from, uh, from, from building one another up in these ways. So, uh, so please make it a priority to join us uh, tonight. Uh, and then next week for men's and women's prayer group, and I, I don't think I, how, I don't think I can be any more clear. All right, uh, please make this uh, a priority. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to set the the table for our prayer groups uh, moving forward. Uh, and this is a passage that uh, that has been very instrumental, uh, I'd say, among our pastoral team in thinking through the role and responsibility that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to build one another up. And as I was preaching through 1 Thessalonians uh, a year, a year and a half ago, uh, this particular verse, uh, verse 14, uh, stood out to to me and to us as a team uh, in in, in a way that a lot of other passages in 1 Thessalonians didn't stand out, but this one in particular stood out in a way that reminds us and and, and helped us think through some of the changes we've made uh, as to what our, our role and responsibility is to one another. So let's let's uh, zoom in on verse 14 this morning. And you have it right in front of you. It's this, this brief encouragement. Uh, admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. And I want to bring this passage out and unpack this passage for us this morning in a way that hopefully is helpful for us as we think about our responsibility as believers. So Paul is bringing this shorter letter to a conclusion, and he's doing so with a series of rapid-fire exhortations. And you probably noticed that they began in verse 12, and they sort of work their way down. You see them more clearly in, in verses 16 and 17. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So he's, he's just hitting a number of, of different things as he's going through, through these passages. And, and in the middle of it all is this verse, verse 14, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Now, as we get into this passage, I want, to make, um, I want to make six observations about this passage, about its context, uh, before we start to unpack these, uh, these specific instructions. Okay, so, so six observations about this passage. First, 
it's helpful to remind ourselves of the connection between this section, verses 12 and following, and the previous section that has come, which really began back in chapter 4, verse 13, and continued on to chapter 5 and verse 11. So previously, the Apostle Paul had been addressing end-time events, going from 4.13 down to 5.11. He was dealing with the rapture. He was dealing with the day of the Lord. But then he swiftly turns in verse 12 to, to other matters. And so the, the question we, we would ask as we come to verse 12, really, is, well, what's the relationship between these two sections? Okay? When I believe the answer to that question lies in verse 11. After instructing them about end-time events, Paul concludes verse 11, and he says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then he turns his attention to two, group of people, uh, two groups of people who are in need of building up. The first are elders and pastors. And that's what he addresses in verses 12 and 13. Then the second group is other members or the whole body of Christ in verse 14 and, and, and following. And so they have the responsibility to admonish and encourage and help those who are in the assembly together. So that's the first observation we make about the nature of the context. The second observation we make about this passage, it's worth noting, is the individuals to whom Paul is writing in these verses. Okay, so in verse 12, he addresses the Thessalonians specifically by calling them brothers, noting that they have the responsibility to respect and esteem those who are over them in the Lord. But as he turns to verse 14, the, the individuals he's addressing hasn't changed. He addresses the same individuals once again by calling them brothers. He says, and we urge you, brothers. Now the reason this is important is because the exhortations in verse 14, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, it would seem like that's a a responsibility that ordinarily falls to, to pastors. But if Paul wanted to address pastors in verse 14, he could have addressed pastors in verse 14. But he doesn't address pastors in verse 14. He addresses the entire congregation, to, to all the brothers, urging them all that they have a responsibility to admonish, encourage, and to help their fellow believers. So what we would call this in verse 14, or what we have before us, what we might call is, is, is every member ministry. That, that is, that this is not a task, okay? The, the task of verse 14 is not a task that, that lies solely with, with leadership, although leadership has a responsibility to fulfill these things. But this is a duty of every member. Verse 14 is a duty of every member, okay? So, so when God saved you and adopted you into his family— he gave you relationships and with, with, with a church family. And he's, he's in the process of reconciling you to a, a body of believers. And, and with being part of a church family, as we've talked about for the last uh, several months, it, it comes with certain obligations, or we might call them family obligations. Right? So you remember growing up in your own family, how being part of your own family came with a set of of, of obligations. Like, so I grew up in a rural area. We lived in a house that had a very long driveway, and so we didn't take our trash 
to the end of the driveway so the garbage person could come pick it up. We took our trash uh, to the local landfill. So when I became 16 and I got my driver's license, um, it became my job to be the one who transported the, the smelly trash, a 15-minute drive all the way to the landfill. So that was my, that was my, my obligation as being part of the, of the family. And it was a miserable existence, right? I had other chores too. I had to cut the grass I had to shovel off the deck when it snowed. And I know the more I talk about this, the more you feel sorry for me and, and the life that I, that I live. And, and you probably had similar obligations and could, could bemoan the, the, the upbringing that you had as well. And at some point as a young person, you, you might utter these words in, a frustration, in frustration, why do I have to do all these things? And while there might be a lot of different answers to that, a lot of it comes down to this is because you're part of the family. And with being part of the family comes certain obligations. Now, there come certain privileges, but there also come certain obligations. And what Paul is putting before us here in this verse is this, that as, as, part, of the, as part of the church family, this is an obligation that you have, to be in the, the, the ministry of admonishing and encouraging and helping to build one another up in the body of Christ. And it's not optional. I mean, it, is, it is an obligation that you have in obedience to our Lord. Now notice thirdly about this, about this passage, or this verse 14, is the sphere in which this ministry was to be practiced among the Thessalonians. So, so the, the specific sphere is among their local church, their local congregation. Like if, if other believers needed admonishment and encouragement and help, I'm sure they could administer it. But specifically, Paul has in mind that, that this church in Thessalonica is the place in which they minister. So if you go all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 1, you see the audience to whom he's writing. He says, to the church, singular, of the Thessalonians, plural, and Paul is writing to a specific congregation, reminding them of their responsibility to one another. Now, this is important because it reminds us of the sphere in which we're to live out these obligations. It's within our own local assembly. Okay, this is what membership is. It's a, it's a promise to one another to oversee uh, our life of discipleship and to admonish and build one another up. And so we've made certain promises to one another as members in the local church and we're to make these a priority in the way we live out our life together as a church. Now notice, fourthly, that this type of ministry, ad- admonishing and encouraging and helping, it anticipates that there will be an intimate knowledge of those in the assembly. Okay, so you can't just walk up to, a, to someone you don't know and say, well, you seem undisciplined, uh, so l- allow me to admonish you and build you up in the faith. Right? That would be awkward, and it probably wouldn't be very effective. But, but verse 14 assumes that there is a knowledge among the brothers and sisters of Christ that gives a platform for the ability to to encourage and admonish and to build up and to help, right? So, so verse 14 can't happen without an intimate knowledge and relationship among the brothers and sisters in our assembly. Now notice, fifthly, that if God's people 
are living as they should, that these responsibilities will be reciprocal. That is, sometimes we're in the position of admonishing, and other times we're in the position of receiving admonition. Or sometimes we're in a position to encourage, and other times we're in a position where we, we need the encouragement. But verse, but verse 14 has, has both in mind, that we're both giving and receiving in, in, these, in these ways. Right? Sometimes we're only thinking about whether I'm receiving these things, and sometimes we fail to recognize, well, am I giving these things? Am I, am I encouraging? Am I helping? Am, am I admonishing other brothers and sisters in, in Christ? So there will, be, there will be a two-way street if verse 14 is lived out effectively. Notice lastly that, that from this passage we see that not every believer needs the same thing. Okay, and we're going to unpack this in a, min- in, a, in a minute, but Paul mentions three different kinds of people in this verse. There is the idle, there is the faint-hearted, and there is the weak. But not everyone needs the same thing. I think Pastor Mike uh, illustrates this for us well when he talks about how uh, sometimes, you know, the people that need admonition, they need a, a two-by-four upside the, uh, the head. But if you take the, the faint-hearted or the weak person and you apply the two-by-four method, you're going to knock them right off their feet, right? So not everybody needs the same kind of, uh, the same kind of response. We tend to be people who have like a, 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 a one a, a one-method pursuit, right? So we just, we just go for the jugular, so to speak. Okay? But, but what Paul's saying here is that we need the sensitivity, the wisdom, and the knowledge of one another to be in tune with what their need is so that we know, okay, does this person need to be admonished? Does this person need to be encouraged? Or does this person need to be helped? I think if we think about it this way, if we misdiagnose the problem, then we will misprescribe the needed medicine. So it's important for us in this passage to ask when we're dealing with people, am I dealing with someone who is idle or unruly? Am I dealing with someone who is faint-hearted? Or am I dealing with someone who is weak? And depending on the person with whom we're dealing, then we'll know whether or what particular medicine to give in those cases. Okay, so with these introductory thoughts in mind, Let's move into verse 14, and here's what we're going to see, that you and I have the responsibility as members of the body of Christ to patiently build one another up according to the specific needs of our brothers and sisters, okay? So let's work through this passage together, and we're going to look at it in in these ways. We're going to look at the person and the need, then we'll look at the person and the need in a second category, then a person and a need in a third category. And then the Apostle Paul finishes it with an overarching need uh, in this this passage. So let's begin with person number one, and uh, then we'll see their need. So so the first person that Paul mentions in verse 14 is with the title, idle. Okay, they're the idle person. We urge you, brothers, encourage the idle. Now, as is in the case with these three individuals, we need to unpack their meaning and describe them in a little bit of detail. So, in our minds, when we hear the term idle, we're typically thinking about a lazy person who is sitting around when they should be doing something, right? 
So Paul has in mind here, encourage the couch potato, is what is in our minds when we hear this particular passage. And that's not necessarily um, an inaccurate idea, but the biblical idea of, of idleness is broader than just someone who is, is lazy. So you'll notice, if you're carrying an, an ESV translation, that you'll have a little footnote there that says that this phrase could be translated as disorderly or undisciplined. Well, now the idea starts to be a little bit more broad. Okay? Now, if you're, liking, if you're like me, you're probably wondering how a word can be translated idle in one context and undisciplined or unruly or disorderly in a different one. And the answer is, is, is really this. When it's used in the active voice, this word, it means disorderly or undisciplined. It's, it's a military term for someone who steps out of rank or they're discharged for disorderly conduct. Okay? They've, they've stepped out of rank not doing something they're supposed to do. Okay? And, and, and so that's the active voice. But when it's used in the passive voice, it's referring to someone who is not doing something that they should be doing. And that's why the translation here is, is idle. Now, now, likely the reason that the translation is idle in our, in our ESV is because one of the main issues in Thessalonica was a, a, an aspect of, of laziness. So if you go over to 2 Thessalonians, uh, you'll notice that Paul has to address this church because of their laziness. And he, it's so significant that he says, listen, if anyone's not willing to work, then he shouldn't even be able to eat. Because this idleness was a significant issue in the church at Thessalonica. And so some versions use the word idle, but other versions use the word undisciplined or unruly. But here's the thing we want to notice about this person. It's their persistence in sin that puts them in this category of people. right? So it, moving forward, we'll see the faint-hearted and the weak. Those two individuals are, are not in that position because of sin, or not necessarily in that position because of sin, but here in this, in this idea of idleness or disorderliness or unruliness, it's because of their sin that they find themselves in need of admonition. And so Paul writes to, to specifically address these individuals who are living in sin, who are idle or unruly. So this is the person, now let's see what their need is. Paul says that they are to admonish the idle or admonish the unruly. The word already appeared in verse 12 as a duty of pastors to their congregation, but it appears here as the duty for every believer that they are to admonish. And and the word means to warn it also carries the idea of, of reprimanding. It's, so it's the idea of someone who, because of their sin, they've wandered on the wrong path. And every believer has the responsibility to, to warn and correct and bring the sinners back to the proper path. Okay, there are times in our life where we need to receive this kind of warning because of, of sin, because of, of blind spots that we have in our life. And there are times in the life of the church where we as believers need to give these kinds of warnings to our fellow believers, right? So Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, when he's dealing with this idea of idleness and laziness, he says in verse 15, do not regard this individual as an enemy, but warn him 
as a brother, he says. So we have the responsibility on an individual level and a corporate level to be giving these kinds of warnings to those in sin. Right? You'll remember verses like Galatians 6.1 says something similar. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So the Bible's clear that from time to time, and, and, and honestly fairly regularly, that, that sinners are going to wander from the straight and narrow. And in these cases, it's those who are keeping in step with the Spirit, or those who are spiritual, Paul says, those who are, who are, who are walking with Christ, should go and, on a necessary rescue mission and call individuals back to, to repentance and from the error of their way. I'm, I'm, I'm struck by what Paul says in, in verse in Romans 15, verse 14, because Paul seems to think that every believer is equipped with this ability to call people back and to admonish and to warn people from the other. So listen to what he says in Romans 15, verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and then he says this, and able to instruct one another. Now that word instruct here used in our ESV is the same word in our passage in 1 Thessalonians for admonish. So Paul says, I'm satisfied about you brothers that, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and you are capable of warning one another and calling each other back to obedience. So this is the task to which every believer has been called. When engaging with a person who's living undisciplined and, and in sin, we're to, to give warnings to call individuals back to obedience. Now let's stop and ask two questions. First question is this. What keeps us from this type of Christian responsibility? Okay, so, so, so we've got this responsibility to warn those who are, are drifting or caught in, in sin but why don't we admonish and warn like we should? Well, let me give a couple of suggestions as, as we think about this. Okay, so why is it that we don't fulfill this ministry as we should? Well, for some, they have the mentality of, it's not my job, right? As the expression is used today, just stay in your lane. And it's not my job to, to correct what somebody else is doing. They, they can mind their own business. I'll mind my own business. And so we don't see it as our responsibility. But let's be honest. I mean, the more we read the New Testament, the, more, the less we can get away from this thinking that it's not our duty to watch out for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. A second reason why we might not fulfill this ministry as we should is maybe a lack of willingness on the part of the other person to receive this kind of instruction or this kind of, of warning, right? So Proverbs 9, 7 talks about whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So one of the hindrances of, of, of confronting and calling people back is that people are just not willing to receive this kind of instruction, and you're going to get yourself injured by warning them. And so out of fear of that kind of thing, that people are not acceptable to it, then we have a, hes a hesitancy to back away from warning people about their sin. 
Maybe a third suggestion or, or reason why we don't warn brothers and sisters in sin enough is because we're not in a position spiritually to do so. So we might look at their life and, and then feel like, well, who am I spiritually to, to warn them when I've got issues in my own life? And, and the solution is not to just forsake the responsibility, but the, the responsibility is to get our own house in order and then lovingly go and call our brother back from the path of sin. A last reason why we might not fulfill this ministry as we should is that we have a lack of genuine love for one another. Okay, we love ourselves. We love our, our own comfort. We love being accepted by other people. We love being approved by other people. And so admonishing someone else and warning someone else cuts against all of those things. Okay, it cuts against the self-love that we have. We find it easier to, to and, and more self-loving to ignore the sin of others than to address the sin of others. But as we considered this quote a couple of weeks ago from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, nothing is so cruel as the tenderness that consigns another to sin, and nothing can be more compassionate than the rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. So sometimes the most loving and caring thing we can do for our brother and sister is to admonish them and warn them of the error of their way. Okay, so that's the first question. Why is it that, why is it that we do not, do not fill this command as we should? But secondly, question, what keeps us from receiving this type of instruction? Right, because let's be honest, if, if someone says, hey, I'm seeing this in your life, our first reaction is defensiveness, it's an uncomfortableness, it's a, I don't want to hear this about me because we like to assume that we've got everything in order. And even if we don't, we don't want to hear about it because we'd like to pretend that we have everything in order. Okay, so what keeps us from receiving this type of, of admonition? Well, one thing that keeps us from this type of admonition is the, the belief that the Christian life is largely a solo journey. Like, I do my Christian life you do your Christian life, we're happy to interact on a superficial level, but that you would be calling me to repentance or to warn me about something in my life is, is just sort of out of bounds. Okay? But the scriptures don't teach anywhere this idea of Lone Ranger Christianity. Okay? What we see is that believers in the New Testament are, are intimately connected with one another, seeking to build one another up in the faith and warn and encourage one another. Another reason why, why we're kept from receiving this kind of, of admonition really comes down to a lack of humility. Okay, we don't want to hear what's wrong in our life. We're too proud, so the walls are up, and the ministry of admonition would wound our pride, and it takes humility to admit when we are wrong. Right, so my natural reaction when someone addresses something in my life is I just assume they're, they're wrong, you know. And uh, it's, it's, you know, I try to listen graciously or at least give the appearance that I'm listening graciously. And, and then after about a week or two weeks or sometimes a month, I'm thinking, oh, you know what, maybe, maybe, they do, <laughs> maybe they do have a point, right? But, but it's, it's the pride that we have in, in each of our hearts that makes us defensive to this sort of thing. But what we want is, is a culture of this, where we have the freedom to say, hey, hey, brother, I love you. 
I'm seeing this in your life, and, and we humbly and willingly receive that. So the first person and the first need is to admonish the idol. But now let's move on to the second person and the second need. The person here is, Paul describes them as the faint-hearted, right? So he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted. Okay, so this is the person described in other translations with the word discouraged. And what we need to notice about this person who is discouraged is that this is not necessarily the result of sin, right? So we go back to the first person who needs admonition or warning, they're idle or unruly. It's because of their sin that they've been put in this category. But in the second category of of individuals, we're dealing with someone who is discouraged, but it's not necessarily their sin that has put them in this position. It is uh, maybe a number of circumstances. Like the Apostle Paul, he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And listen to the words of the the Apostle Paul. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul's in a place in his life, not because of sin, but because of the circumstances around him where he is in need of of encouragement. And there are many places in Scripture where we find believers discouraged. It's part of living in a sin-cursed world. Right? The, The psalmists are often discouraged. The Old Testament prophets, they're definitely discouraged when, when the, the masses of people are not heeding their, their warnings. And we should conclude then that discouragement will be a normal part of the life of the believer. Like We're not different from believers in past generations. There will be those in our midst, and it will be us at times, who are discouraged. Maybe it's an ongoing trial, right? Trials have a way of discouraging us, but then others in our assembly, they, they, they are in a, a lengthy trial with, with no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it's someone who is experiencing the loss of a loved one. I think it's the loss of a loved one that, that, that in some ways prompts the Apostle Paul to write these things, right? If you go back to chapter 4.13, he says, but we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So, so in this particular case, one of the things that's plaguing this congregation is a, a fear and a, and a, and a discouragement of the trial of, of those who have lost loved ones. So it could be a trial, the loss of a loved one, can be a broken relationship. Almost anything can be a cause for discouragement. Sometimes we're the discouraged person, and at other times it's someone around us who needs to be built up. But if we rebuke this person, or we admonish this person, well, we have the possibility of doing more harm than good if we don't understand their situation. So what does Paul say here? Move to the, to the need in verse 14. He says that this person needs to be encouraged. These people need to be persuaded not to give up. In the midst of discouraging circumstances, you want to give up. You believe the situation has 
no end, that there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And so the things we need to be built up or the ways in which we need to be encouraged is, hey, keep going. This is not the end of the story. Don't lose confidence in God. That in all things, God has a purpose and a plan and he's fulfilling in, in your life. We need these kind of reminders and we need to be giving these kind of reminders so that we're not overcome with discouragement. Uh, Steve read in our scripture reading uh, from 2 Timothy, which is a good example of what it looks like to minister to someone who is discouraged. Right? If, you, if you read the book of 2 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is in a very difficult and tough situation. He's in prison. He's about to lose his life. Um, in the scripture reading that was read, I'll just, uh, in fact, why don't you go to 2 or why don't you go to Second Timothy and chapter 4, and we'll, we'll just highlight these circumstances again because we'll show you the, the, the way in which Paul was ministered to. But in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 9, he writes to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, and then listen to the things he has to say. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now we, we were uh, looking at this passage, or we're looking at Demas, uh, just a reference, passing reference to him in our Sunday school class this morning. But Demas was a close co-worker with the Apostle Paul. So imagine someone with whom you've had a close relationship for, for years or maybe even decades and they, and they don't just forsake you, but they, they, in love with the present world, forsake Christ and you all together. And that's probably the case here with, with Demas. And then sometimes, maybe it's not for sinful reasons, but you find yourself alone and close friends, just through providential circumstances, have moved on to other locations. Right? Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dematia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. It's a good thing, but Paul finds himself alone. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus and Troas, also the books above. Now listen to what he says in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed us. So Paul's remembering someone who has done him great harm. And I don't think Paul's just exaggerating here. He's, he's genuinely warning these believers because of the harm he's received from Alexander the coppersmith. Verse 16, at his first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it may not be charged against him. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. Now, we think, well, is there no one around to encourage Paul in this discouraged state? Well, I think we notice he's in this discouraged state. But flip over to chapter 1, and you read these words in verse 15. He says in verse 15, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. 
May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So in the midst of the darkness and the people that have moved on and the people that have deserted Paul, the people that have caused him great harm, he singles out this one individual in verse 14, Onesiphorus, who often refreshed him. Or as the saying goes, in life, be a fountain, not a drain. Okay, this was an Esophorus. He, he's pouring into and refreshing the Apostle Paul, was not ashamed of his circumstances. When he got to Rome, he seeks him out so that he might serve him and encourage him. Okay, so it's natural for us to be in circumstances where we are, are discouraged, and what we need is someone who will build us up and encourage us. Now, just as we asked before, What keeps us from effectively carrying out this ministry in the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So so what keeps you from being an encourager, as we see here, is expected of us in Scripture? Okay, I think one thing is, we are often too self-focused to notice the needs of others around us. Okay, we're often too self-focused to need, notice the needs of others around us. So how does this happen? Well, we, we pack our schedules completely full of events. We lead extremely busy lives. We're consumed with our needs, our agenda, and our world and what's taking place there. And we don't stop and take the time to identify the, the vast needs of those around us. But, but if we slow down a little bit and, and we looked around and we, we considered a world outside of our own, we might see that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, who have great need of encouragement. So sometimes we're just too self-focused, too busy to notice the needs of, what's, of those going on around us. A second reason is it's, it's easier to tear down than it is to build up. Okay, so I've often used this illustration that when you're going to do some sort of renovation project at your house and people are easy and quick to volunteer to help you do demo, but they're not as easy to quick to help the volunteer to, to, to help you do the, the building up. Why? Because the, the demolition is the easy part. They just get a few angry people and they like to tear into walls and, and it goes quickly, but, but it takes thought and skill to, to do the building up. And it, 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 that's how it is with, with believers today, right? Or the way we, we live our lives. It's, it's easy to notice the negatives. It's easy to tear one another down. It's, it's easy to notice what's wrong with other people. But to genuinely encourage one another, it takes thought and wisdom and skill. There are some people who it's very natural to their personality. But for the vast majority of us, in order to encourage, it's something we have to, to stop and to think about and to, in order to do it effectively. Okay? So, first of all, we're to admonish the unruly. We're to encourage the faint-hearted. And now let's look at the last one. We're to help the weak. Now, what, is the, what does the word weak mean in this particular passage? Well, the term weak can refer to physical sickness, and maybe that's the case here, but it doesn't seem like that's the case. The word weak can also be used as someone who is the weaker brother 
in matters of, of conscience, like Romans chapter 14. But again, the, the context doesn't seem to lean that particular way. Um, but maybe the word help helps us understand what the word weak means. Because the, the word weak here is probably the, the, the least clear of the three terms that are used in this passage. Okay, so, so the word help means to really prop them up or to, to not leave their side. And so it's possible that the weak person is in a category where they are ready to quit Christianity, to quit the fight and just throw in the towel and to, to pursue something else. Okay, they're, they're ready to despair and quit. And so what they need in this case is they need help. Someone to prop them up, never leave their side, or the word literally means to be devoted to them. Okay, and from time to time in the life of the church, or maybe even in the life of our personal experience, this is you and this is me. We wonder if following Christ is really worth it. Okay, the opposition from an unbelieving world, or the opposition in the workplace, or maybe it's in the case of sin, but we think that maybe throwing in the towel is... is is the better option, or maybe the circumstances around us have, have put so much pressure on us that we're ready to give up altogether. And these types of people, what they need is they need help. They need a brother or sister in Christ to, to never leave their side, to be devoted to them, and, and to, to prop them up in these, in these circumstances. Now, what keeps us from helping people in this, in this way? Well, if you've ever encountered this type of person, helping them can be exhausting. Their, their needs are, are ongoing. It's rarely a reciprocal situation where, like, if you encourage someone, they'll encourage you. But, but helping the weak person, you don't often get much in return for helping weak people. And so sometimes you even incur injury from helping weak people. And so we're inclined to think, well, I'll pursue some other ministry than helping this person up. But Paul's saying, look, if we're all going to make it to the, to the end goal of, of maturity in Christ and, and faithfully make it all the way home, then we're going to have to, to invest in, in all types of people, okay? Those who are in sin, those who are discouraged, and those who are weak. Now, because this ministry is so hard, the Apostle Paul finishes with an overarching need in this passage. He says, be patient with them all. So notice how the passage reads. He says this. Well, I'm in 2 Timothy, so let me read again. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And then he finishes with this expression, be patient with them all. That is a fitting way to end verse 14. Okay, if, if we're going to carry out this ministry as, as, we're, as, as is needed, then it can only happen through the Spirit-enabled patience that the Lord gives. Okay, that's the only way for, for long-term ministry to take place is to be patient with, with one another. So notice a couple things about patience. Well, it's a, it's a characteristic of God. Okay, remember after the incident of the golden calf in Exodus 32, the Lord comes to Moses, and, and here's what he reveals about himself in Exodus 34. He says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Okay, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, right? So, so this is the character of our God who is gracious and patient with you and me as sinners. As children resemble their father, so we want to resemble our father as, as children of his. And so patience needs to be one of our characteristics. Slow to anger abounding in love as we minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so patience is a characteristic of God. As we seek to imitate God, we'll be able to live with one another in patience. But notice, secondly, that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. In other words, we we can only be as patient as we are drawing on the strength of the Spirit in our lives. Okay, it's not even something we can just muster up or determine I'm going to be, I'm just going to need to be more patient. It's we have to come back to, to the Lord, the source of our strength, and say, enable me and equip me to live patiently with one another. But the third thing we notice about patience in this passage, and probably the most important thing, is that this is the only means by which we can effectively minister over the long haul. Okay, so, so the duty of believers is to encourage, or is to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. And it's easy to pursue that, and it's easy to pursue that in the short term. But the only way that that kind of ministry can, can, can last and, and, and sustain itself is if in doing so, we are patient with one another. So it's the only way that, la- that this can happen, lastly, is if, 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 if we're patient. So, so think about, um, think about a, a marriage that has lasted for 50, 60 years. And you meet these marriages that have, that have lasted this long, and you see the love that they have for one another and, and the, the, the care and the tenderness, and, and when one spouse passes, the, the deep, deep feeling of loss because of how close uh, that relationship was. And I think all of us in our marriages, we want to pursue that kind of lasting intimacy and relationship. But then you talk to the people who have been married for 50, 60 years, and then one of the things they'll tell you is that it's been patience with one another that has enabled that relationship to last so long, right? We want the benefits of, of lasting relationships without the work of being patient with one another, right? We want the, the benefits of a lasting relationship without putting in the hard work. But it's those things in life that are the most meaningful, that, that it's the patience and persistence that have allowed them to last and become so meaningful, so I forget where I read this or, or heard this, but not long ago there was, somebody was saying that there was a, a lack of or, or a decrease in the number of those who are playing the piano. I don't know how they track this statistically, but, but there was a noticing a chart in parenting in parents not wanting to, to push or discipline their kids to devote themselves to the, the long-term you know, commitment of, of playing a piano. So 
in order to enjoy the piano and, and play the piano effectively, you have to go through this period of what we might call drudgery or difficulty, where you're persistently banging the keys out, trying to, to learn and, 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 and accomplish something. And, and many piano students, myself included, don't make it through that stage. And so then they never reach the stage where they can play with such freedom and skill and joy because they haven't gone through the, pay, the, 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 the period of, of endurance. And, and that's how it is with relationships. Sometimes we don't, we don't reach the, the lasting and impactful nature of relationships because we haven't been willing to work through some of the difficulties. When it gets hard, we escape. We, we go on to someone else, but we don't work through those relationships in, in a patient way or be patient with one, another, with one another so we don't reap the benefits of those long-lasting relationships. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, and, and, and he finishes the, the phrase so fittingly, where he says to, to, to do this in all senses with, with a sense of, of patience. Okay, so this is the way in which I wanted to introduce uh, our small groups, or our prayer groups, starting tonight and next week. Because this verse reminds us of the responsibility we have to one another. That as we go tonight and the weeks to come, you're going to encounter people who are in need of encouragement. You're going to probably encounter people who are in need of warning. And you're going to probably encounter people who are in need of a lot of help. But this gives us a setting an opportunity to begin to sow some of those seeds that, Lord willing, will bear fruit in the years to come. So with these thoughts in mind, let's close in prayer that the Lord might equip us to, to effectively accomplish what we see in this passage. Father, we're thankful for the church that you've given us, the body of Christ, that you've not just left us on this solo journey of, to pursue Christ's likeness, but that you've intimately connected us with a group of believers who are also looking for the same thing, to pursue Christ's likeness. And our prayer is that you would use these other brothers and sisters in Christ to both give us opportunities to serve and that we might on the same hand receive encouragement and help so that we might grow up into to looking like you so that we might help each other persist and persevere so that people don't throw in the towel but that we all make it to glory and so Lord as we consider this verse may we not forget our responsibility in the busyness of our lives but may we actually stop and ponder and consider in what ways can I more effectively fulfill what you have instructed us here in this verse. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name.